What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. And man, Dave, it's a sad week, man. Before we get too far into it, I'm just going to say, follow the podcast, YouTube, if you're watching it, hit, hit that subscribe button, soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod, and follow us, subscribe on Apple and Twitter at Nostalgia Pod. I mean, I, we got to mention two people right off the, the rip who passed away the end of last week, last Thursday, Burt Reynolds. 70s 80s movie icon mustache and chest hair icon probably more importantly which when i found out he was 82 i was kind of like he could have been 70 or like 95 and i would have believed whatever you said like he just seemed kind of timeless to me in a way so 82 seems right but definitely sad do you have a favorite burt reynolds movie deliverance 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 rules i watched on the airplane only last year for the first time, but that movie fucking is awesome. Really good. Yeah. Dark as fuck. It was his first movie too, right? Not his first movie, but his first like it's like his first famous movie. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I probably just go Boogie Nights just because I fucking love Boogie Nights. His really only like big like late career movie that really mm-hmm. popped. You know, he made picked a lot of bad movies at that yeah. age, but it's funny like his relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson is funny to read about just because apparently he they, <laughs> like, didn't, he they didn't get along. He thought he was. Uh, I don't know. I guess kind of like a, a nitwit, kind of like stealing people's. He thought he had like a big head. For, is everything I pretty much read. Like he thought he was mm-hmm. this great revolutionary director, which he, he kind of is. Sure. Now, but yeah. at that time, he thought he was right. too big for his britches. You know, the person that I think we're we're most sad about your guy, our guy. But I'm gonna give him you most of the credit for this. Mac Miller died of an overdose, 26, late Friday. I actually felt kind of bad because I'm I'm pretty sure I broke the news to you. Yeah, he did. I mean, if if anyone texts with Dave or knows Dave, he's he's pretty he's pretty meticulous. He doesn't really like write typos, but like your first text back was just like a, a what, but like misspelled and like obviously very quickly like frazzled. Man, just a really really sad and tragic loss. What was? I mean, obviously you were sad. I saw your tweet, but talk a little bit more about your gut reaction, just like your thoughts since Mac passed. Uh, yeah, no, I was uh very emotional for I don't know the thirty six hours or so afterwards. Mm-hmm. Cried several times. Just very sad. The first, you know, famous person you know that I was aware of that I had like a really like visceral emotional response to their passing. You know, that's not to say like people of, that were big of our time, like say Avicii passing. Mm-hmm didn't didn't hit me the same way but you know this one really hurts and whenever i've been kind of kind of stopped reading the coverage around it today just because it's been just really really tough and yeah i was uh very very sad for sure it's uh obviously taken weight far too soon and you saw that sentiment uh, echoed by the whole fucking rap game man literally everyone mm-hmm. said they love mac and he was the best dude and you know all that yeah it, anyone our age it was hard to go through college and not play a mac miller song at a party or you know when you're hanging out with your friends just throw one of his songs on the background and, and everybody was bumping to it i mean he freaking he was at your junior year my senior year sienna fest and I, I know that i think you met him once at a, a concert um so obviously you had a, a personal interaction with him and from all accounts, it seemed like he was a really just good dude, revered, respected. And we talked in our review about swimming, you know, it, as this really, really solid album that showed a lot of growth. And he was kind of finding his sound and experimenting, but really taking some chances. And it's his potential just seemed like he could go anywhere. And then a month later to have that all gone, is just kind right. of surreal. 
and and that was a thing too. It's you know, swimming I believe was his fifth official studio album, but he had a lot of other side projects along the way. A lot of legit output for a twenty six year old. Like he had like that Larry Lovestein EP, which was like this romantic like singing project. Then he had like Delusional Thomas, where he was like really distorted and uh, uh, like like a hazy sound, right? Yep. Then he had all these various mixtapes, like Faces, a tape I, I, go, I reference a lot as something that's like, now it's being brought up because of the really dark, morbid, uh, druggy lyrics that were on it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But he had so much versatility already, and it, like, it shows because like, he worked with Pharrell. He was cool with DJ Jazzy Jeff. And then obviously like people like Drake and Cole loved him. So it was like, mm-hmm. he, he had all these influences everywhere. And, you know, I saw it like, to your to your what you said, a lot of people our age were were affected. You know, were obviously very saddened by it. And most of those people were sharing that the songs you were referencing, stuff from Blue Slide Park or his kids mixtape stuff, where he really popped off, right? That mm-hmm. flat rap stuff and that fun fun party music, and obviously that growth, he that career journey that you mm-hmm. know he really started to blossom post that. It just sucks that he's gone so soon because I was just thinking like Mac Miller is going to be a dude who when he becomes an old 40 year old rapper, he'll have like 15 records and who knows what kind of albums these are going to be because he makes all this kind of music. And it's just just so sad that he's, you know, he's gone just because mm-hmm. we're never going to see what that was. And, you know, it sounded sound, uh, limitless potential, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's tragic to say the least. And obviously no one really expects anything like, like this to happen and it seems to happen far too often. So just as like my own PSA, if you are listening to this and you're struggling with substance abuse, you're feeling alone, um, get help. You know, there are people that care about you. There's a ton of resources online. Um, you can, I think message either my, myself or, or I don't want to speak for you, Dave, but you and if you need someone to help direct you in the right place, yep. like we're here for you. So don't struggle alone and know that you matter. Any last thoughts on Mac before we move on? Yeah, you know, I think part of the reason I was so upset was that post post the Ariana breakup, right? He had that uh, well publicized DUI. And mm. after that, a lot of people like, checked in on him, right? And like uh, he went on Beats 1, he talked to Zane Lowe leading up to swimming. And like talk about that, and he was like, "Yeah, it was a one-off thing, just a you know stupid mistake. I effed up, but I'm fine. He's like, I'm good." And then like Craig Jenkins, one of the best music writers for Vulture, ran a profile about Mac the day before he died, and Mm -hmm. he saw Craig tweet. He was like, "I just talked to him yesterday. He sound he was happy. He was great." And that's what everyone seems to be saying. So I just maybe we'll find out more later. But I just you know didn't seem like he was in that place where he was trying to you know hurt himself but i ebros was theorizing that maybe he got a bad batch of drugs or something you know yeah. whatever the case you know seek help if you need it but yeah very sad. and also just want to say anyone that for any reason is blaming ariana grande for this take a step back and like reevaluate this is nothing to do with her i mean obviously they had a relationship but they're on good terms you know and this ain't low interview mac was like yeah, I wish the best for her. I assume she wished the best for me. We're cool, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, the relationship ended, but, you know, she's she's more upset than most of us. Let's be real. I mean, moving on from somebody who had limitless potential to somebody who also seems to have some potential, and I think we're going to kind of probably get into that, Troy Sivan, 
his I guess his second album yep. Bloom follow up to his uh 2016 album Blue Neighborhood. It, I mean this is an interesting guy. It, similar to Rich Brian, someone that became big on the internet, you know, YouTube and then he got big in Australia on these talent shows mm-hmm. and kind of then has created his own lane from that or at least fell into the pop lane. I saw this guy on SNL last year when when he performed or not not last year earlier in this year. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought he was interesting but also just kind of awkward and and seemed like a kid really and then listening to his album i think that really comes across that he's still kind of growing into his own uh the song lyrics seem pretty shallow to me very like surface level none of it really seems authentic in any way um i think there's still some enjoyable songs on there and you know we just mentioned ariana she's on one of the tracks um but overall i was kind of left just being like it's a fine pop album it's okay what was your take on bloom yeah i i agree i didn't think anything like you know blew up my headphones or anything right um i think part of that is that he's a okay vocalist i don't think he's not like an amazing singer right and i thought the beat beats were pretty homogenous pretty washed out you know so it's just like on the surface it just feels like you know okay pop right and then like you know as you're listening and then you learn more about Troy. You're like, oh, he's an openly gay man, very uh, uh, honest about who he is, right? And that's something that resonates with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like I'm probably not the target audience for these lyrics because sure. I don't find them that relatable, obviously. But you know, I think a lot of people do. Obviously, he is pretty pretty popular for a young kid. Mm-hmm. Seventy two thousand. This album did first week, pretty solid. But at the end of the day, like. And not to be reductive, but like we talked about another openly gay artist recently, uh, Ali Alexander from Years and Years, and mm-hmm. I thought the music he was making similar subject matter, but because well, the I'm sounds sure. were so different, obviously it's more right. of an electronic focused uh, group uh, mm-hmm. with synth pop and stuff. I just thought that was way more fun. So yeah. it's like you know Troy's on a similar wavelength, but just you know it's, it's almost too generic for me. I mean, I guess when I was listening to him, the biggest comparable i could think of was like charlie puth in a way although he doesn't have like the highs of charlie puth just kind of like a singer who he's a little less vocals mm-hmm. but makes these kind of middling pop songs hasn't really found uh, maybe the right right producer or the right person to help mm-hmm. him reach that next level what, what, what do you think about that well i think charlie i i don't know if i agree with that i think charlie puth has straight bops you know like he, he okay. just has like you know jams at the end of the day some mm-hmm. of his songs i think if you want to compare them in terms of songwriting uh sure but i think pooth just has more you know radio friendly music you know yeah songs you can put on a play right i gotta say though my 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 is a a jam yeah that's my favorite song on this i think it's the the first or second single i think that one's good yeah yeah i thought that was pretty good i didn't hate the the dance to this with uh ariana and uh animal was a little bit slower but found it enjoyable so those couple of the tracks i would recommend we'll have one of them up on our Play- playlist which is i'm a little behind on but by the time you listen to this will be updated well we move on to someone whose potential seems to have kind of reached its apex and he's kind of on the downside you think the 10th album from eminem kamikaze kamikaze yeah i know talk about potential mine is slowly waning today too man i saw you tweeting about this about eminem taking some some shots at tyler and i saw some of the rep- uh, at least that one reply to you i didn't really check if there were any others but just seeing you know, two weekends ago the response to this just made me hate this album even more and the thing is i don't think this is eminem's worst album no 
but just the whole culture around Eminem at this point is is really tough for me. And I see you shaking your head. I'm wondering what thoughts are coming up for you. <laughs> yeah, I, here's the thing: Kamikaze, Eminem is was it tenth record, ninth record, whatever it is. Not his worst, like you said. His worst came out just last December fifteenth. Revival and Revival was the first Eminem album to not go platinum, which is pretty impressive in the streaming age to not finally go platinum yet. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that says something for someone of his stature. I think it did like 267,000 first week, which, uh, yeah, that's a good week, but not for Eminem. I mean, let's remember Eminem was the artist of going uh, a million plus three albums in a row in the early 2000s, right? And yeah. Eminem is the, the epitome of pop rap. He literally made rap pop, right, in the 2000s. And of course, because half the reason is because he was white and he was became so popular as a result. But, like, Eminem was such a fucking force. And you see that baked in with Kamikaze in terms of the response. Eminem has baked in fans. And they really showed out for this. 434,000, I think, is the final number for first yep. week. So, well, I think the fourth biggest debut of the year. Very impressive. And it's interesting that he was able to build up on Revival because Revival had a much bigger rollout. A traditional rollout. Kamikaze mm-hmm. was ghost dropped. Now, I, I've seen this theorized. I'm not totally sure where I feel about it, but... A lot of people are thinking that because Eminem took some shots at people, called some people out, that may have stirred up interest in Kamikaze, getting people to listen. Now, I'm not sure if that accounts for an almost 200,000 unit discrepancy, though. But either way, more people are interested in this album. Um, that being said, it's just so frustrating to listen to Eminem yell at everybody else for not liking his album and not taking any responsibility for putting out a bunch of crap. Right. And that just <laughs> pisses me off listening to him about how, oh, we're the dumb ones, because we don't get it. When it's like, no, no, no. Listen to the jokes people make about you. We understand you're good at putting rap together, uh, words together. Mm-hmm. We know you had to know how to open a thesaurus. But let's look at your hooks, and how all, you haven't had a good hook that was just you and not a pop star in, like, seven years, bro. It's like, <laughs> like, like call a spade a spade. Like, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, well, I mean, man, if, if we criticize him, you better watch out, because he might come to our house and fight us. I yeah, mean, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing about Eminem, you know, we talked about Jay-Z, um, how he drops 444, and it was really the first time he's been able to kind of evolve into a uh, an elder statesman of the rap game and kind of let that influence the way that he makes an album, the way he writes an album. Uh, Eminem just holds on to this... Uh, I don't want to call it lightning in a bottle because he had sustained success for what more than a decade. Um, and he's, I mean, he's still, like you said, a very successful artist, but he just holds on to what made him good and almost like it's holding tight against evolving or even trying to mature. Um, and it's just really frustrating because it's almost like I just want Eminem to go away until he feels ready to try something different rather than just kind of keep yeah. giving us the same thing pre-baked, like, great raps he's a great lyric him and not a great lyric he's a great rhyme schemer he yes. can spit and technical he has great ability flow. but beyond that it's just it's right. really cringeworthy this and it, it's it's this album he actually acknowledged that there's other people in the game he's not on an island there are you know he calls out little yachty he calls out charlemagne mm-hmm. and academics and joe budden right it's like mm-hmm. he know in machine gun kelly that like he knows there's people in the game but he doesn't actually adapt to the rest of the culture right yeah and it's just like it's like why are you gonna call like what was it he 
he made fun of people for listening to Little Pump, and then he referenced one of his songs. I was like, no, no, no. It's not that Little Pump is just too easy to listen to. It's that the song you're referencing was bad. You right. make bad music, people aren't going to like it. It doesn't matter who you are. No one gets mm-hmm. a pass like that. And, you know, like you said, Jay-Z, 444, Pusha T this year with Daytona. Old is not an excuse. It's just you. No. You're just refusing to adapt or change your, your outlook on things. And yeah, that doesn't mean you have to make stuff that sounds like the default Atlanta trap sound of contemporary rap. No one's expecting you to do that. But it just seems like he has this terrible attitude about it. And then when he uses a bleeped out F word to reference the Todd the Curator, by bleeping it out, it's even worse because you know it's bad, but you're still Mm -hmm. doing it. So it just, I don't, like, it's just just immature. Yeah, and especially when, I mean, Flower Boy was 10,000 times the album this one was and 10 million times what uh, what recovery was or not no revival was recovery was okay mm-hmm. revival and recovery yeah. recovery is pretty bad too i think popular. i think recovery is better i don't know at least more enjoyable to listen to uh, um, yeah the thing <laughs> recovery was when he like fir- fi- firmly embraced pop period you know right. and his career is interesting to look back on but like that saw in the fall where he calls out Tyler and uses that word, like, Bonnie Vare, Justin Vernon was like, fuck that, I ain't supporting that shit. We, that wasn't he didn't even, even want to be listed. <laughs> yeah, we weren't even in the studio with that. That was from an old session that he took, and I, yeah, he wouldn't take me off. So I was like, that's a bad look. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people, and, and listen, you're not talking about the music. All right, let's look at the music real quick. Uh, I thought The Greatest Hook was fine. I thought Lucky You with Joyner was listenable. I thought the normal song Normal was amusing. And then listen to uh, Stepping Stone. And like that singing shit. Stepping that it, Stone is trash. Dude. That is like the worst part of recovery right there. That, that, that's that's horrendous. But it's like he just doesn't have hooks anymore. Like the, the, bar none. I mean the the chorus of that didn't even make sense. And it it sounded so bad, just like you're my stepping stone. Like I, I was I, I literally like was was thought it was one of the skits for a second. I was <laughs> like, this has gotta be a joke. He's also like what, talking about D twelve in that? Yeah, oh, you like, finally you finally put D twelve the rest. Thanks, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, we okay. needed that. Honestly, the best thing that came out of this was that he called that MGK because Machine Gun Kelly responded with Rap Double. Rap Double's mm-hmm. fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've listened to Rap Double more than any song off Kamikaze. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were like, "Oh, the skits are back." What did you think of that? Uh, they were interesting, but it's like definitely interesting the paul rosenberg comments oh you're just gonna like what are you gonna kamikaze too it's like yeah it's like again let's let's take a step back and realize that you don't have anything to say again you're just responding to critics not liking the album when you thought you had something to say and it's like people didn't dislike revival because you were calling out trump and being political and stuff Mm -hmm. however you know reductively you were we just didn't like it because it sounded like shit like <laughs> that's why we didn't like it. it it's uh, I just don't think he understands like what it takes to to you know get critical enjoyment or pop- populism. You know, it's like yeah, it's like it's so easy to be like, oh, the mumble rappers. Oh, let me do the bad and bougie uh, flow on not alike. You know, it's like right, cool man. We we you know, thanks for your service level observations of the game. Thanks thanks yeah. for showing up. We'll uh, wait. We'll check in with you later. You know. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I do have to say is I think this is probably his best sounding album, like production wise. 
since revive or uh, yeah, since obviously Reco- since revival, since recovery. I'm getting them confused in my head so so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but since recovery, I think just because it, sure. it seemed to flow, I thought I thought Mike Will's uh, influence on it was was really um, obvious, and I thought it really brought something to this. So if there's one saving grace to it, I do think it it was a step up production wise, but overall it's just kind of same old Eminem. Um, you know, a better album than Revival, but still just it got a long way to go, man. And any last thoughts? Yeah, and and to that point, he had a long way to go. It's like that was why I really like Rap Double because the second half of Rap Double is like, um, what's MGK be like? He's like, you're in everyone's top ten. You're not getting better with age though. And it's like yeah. he was like giving him a backhanded compliment about how yeah you're great. Everyone says you're great, but you're done not anymore like it's okay (laughs) you had a good run and i wish he would take that art or do a jay-z didn't actually you know grow up (laughs) yeah well we'll see but uh why don't we jump to some some movie talk before we dive into the emmys this movie searching you know anish chiganti wrote and direct this 92 percent rotten tomatoes i was so surprised to see that because i hadn't really heard much about this Mm -hmm. then i get to the theater and I'm basically watching someone Google search the whole time, and I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be tough. And somehow this ended up being maybe one of the most gripping movies I've seen this year. You know, it stars John Cho, Deborah Messing, uh, Michelle La plays uh, Margot, uh, the, the girl who disappears in this. I'm not giving too much away. Um, and we'll, we'll tell you when we're going to go full spoilers. But just, the, you know, overall reactions to searching as a movie and as a concept like you said it's so unconventional um yeah. it's tyler shot through point of view uh screens smartphones webcams facetime uh security, security etc yeah right and you it, at first you're like ah oh, this will get old this will get gimmicky it doesn't it's really smartly constructed the way this movie flows and mm. i think that's that reason alone is why I'd recommend this to anyone. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's like a mystery, mystery thriller or crime thriller, but it's you know shot in some conventional way. Like for that alone, go see it. But on top of that, it's also like you said, really gripping. I think it has great twists and is very effective. So yep. yeah, I think the movie totally works. Yeah, the movie absolutely works. Um, we I think we both recommend to go see it. If you haven't seen it. We're probably going to get a little spoilery here in a bit, in a minute, so uh, I would probably recommend stopping, um, going and seeing it and coming back. Uh, yeah, so talk to me about your guy, John Cho. He's having a pretty big year. Uh, he's in what, Aquarius earlier in the year. Now he's in this. Aquarius. Uh, Gemini, you mean? Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, he was, in, he was a supporting role in Gemini earlier in the year, which is a mystery movie we talked about earlier on the pod. Talk about the nostalgia pod. Check that out. I uh, love that movie. And he was also in Columbus, which is a small movie that came out last year. I believe it's on Hulu right now. Uh, check that out. He's with Colleen and that. And he's, it's cool seeing John Charlie's picking these smaller projects. And Searching, I think, is really exciting because you mentioned uh, Anish uh, Giganti. This is his directorial debut. He used to work at the Google Creative Lab in New York City. And he got hired by Google after making that uh, Seeds Google Glass commercial earlier in, mm. in the 2010s. And then he wrote this screenplay with with his uh, the producer of the film, one of his buddies. And it was originally going to be a short film. Then they pitched it to studios and they said, no, we want to make a feature. 
and uh, shout Sony for picking this up and seeing this and um you know they financed it and not only that they helped get to Sundance and obviously it took off but they he got John Cho in his first movie um made in this way I think it's it's quite a success story but um I was I was surprised like obviously I knew there was some Sundance buzz I knew it had the unconventional nature to it but I wasn't expecting it to be as thrilling and as um mm-hmm. you know I didn't see a lot of the twists coming. You know, I really, I really didn't. You know, I guess in hindsight, maybe you could see them more, but I, um, I thought it was, you know, really well told, uh, mystery. Yeah, absolutely. And to your, your point to the twist, I think obviously after seeing it, you kind of look at like the scene where they're, where they're FaceTiming and her son walks in and she's like, yes. let, let me deal with this. And Red hair. Like, huh. It's kind of a weird thing to say at the time, but I was like, oh, okay. And like, that is an obvious, um, you know clue to everything and the marijuana um, in the very beginning yeah although i got i gotta be honest i was like i was sitting there i was like this gotta be marijuana yeah and then like i thought oh, how, how how shady the brother got though in that scene i was like oh no like oh no this can't be um yeah no really well acted uh, and i also feel like this is going to be uh like a template for how people use social media and movies you know it's kind of yes. hard to show how um how people use the internet now uh, in in movies and film just in, in culture in general because it's so it's such a personal experience and to kind of it's not really fun to watch like i i wouldn't want to watch someone just scroll through their facebook or search on google but they they did it in a way that really i think will uh influence uh other filmmakers moving forward although my one gripe is no one FaceTimes this much. That that yeah. was my take too. Yeah, there's, like, there's a lot of FaceTiming. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of FaceTiming strangers. FaceTiming on your desktop computer in the bedroom. Like there was a lot <laughs> yeah. of like hoops to jump through. Yeah, but it also kind of speaks to the strength of the screenplay. And he listened yeah. to Anish talk about it. Like he basically said that they didn't use like Final Draft, you know, the, the default program for writing screenplays. Uh, they didn't mm. use that till the very end because they had to basically write their own like screenplay slash storyboard because they had to write like all of that social media um, or internet whatever the screens were gonna be. They had to write all that out in some kind mm. of screenplay form. So they basically invented their own like weird storyboard screenplay hybrid to make this movie because like they just had to create their own language to explain the screen, right? So yeah. <laughs> they had like and then like remember when he bought he buys the security cameras. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that was the only option, right? There was no other way to get a screen in that in that scene, right? That he had to do yeah. that. So I was like, it's exactly. fine. But yeah, yeah. A, little, I mean, a lot of FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, a lot of FaceTime. Um, I, I thought for sure they were going to break away from it at some point, just because there were there's so many things that happen without the technology, like when he goes and confronts that kid and punches him. But uh, I, I still think they they pulled it off for sure. Um, like you said, really well written. Uh, I'm interested to see what uh, Giganti does moving forward because he's obviously very talented, very creative. Um, but I also feel like this isn't the type of thing that you can replicate and make other movies this way. So I think his next film will probably be a, a true test of his in, uh, inventiveness and also his real um, like chops as a director. Any other thoughts? What did you think of Deborah Messing? Uh, good. Good, yeah. good heel I'll- turn, too. Um, I was about to say, uh, Grace has got still got the chops, man. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think Anisha already has another screenplay 
uh, in the works. So it sounds like he's going to be a, uh, you know, a rising, a rising filmmaker. Good for him. Um, quite, quite the, quite the win to leave Google and have your first feature be so successful. Um, Hell yeah. But yeah, this movie, and we talked about eighth grade from Bo Burnham earlier in the year, two movies that really handle, uh, modern internet use slash social media really smartly, you know? So absolutely good year for that why don't we jump to some emmy predictions as we wrap up today the 70th emmys gonna be uh coming at you next monday we wanted to get you this uh, you know our predictions beforehand so we got on the record when we get them all right we we talked about some of the the nominations in the past so we don't need to go too too much into like the surprises or the trends but i think we're just gonna kind of be talking straight picks maybe our hopefuls and our our, who we want to see why don't we start with um lead actress in a drama series um you know we don't need to run through them but maybe mention one or two that that stand out i guess if i had to pick one i really want to see carrie russell take this home i I think it's a three-horse race honestly carrie russell from the americans elizabeth moss from the handmaid's tale who won last year then sandra oh from killing eve yeah i um i think sand sandra oh is fantastic in killing eve but because Killing Eve is getting renewed, I'd say let's get way to year. This is the final yeah. year, final time for the Americans, and they've been snubbed and overlooked so many times mm-hmm. that I really hope Carrie Russell would win. But I kind of have a feeling they're going to give it to Elizabeth Moss again because Demi's love her. Uh, I could see that happening. I guess I'm really hoping that this is you know third time's the charm for Carrie Russell here. She's great on that show, man. This is, I yeah, she's she's the number one winner of the yeah. show in general. But absolutely, I mean Matt, Matt Reese is good as well, but Carrie Russell just really uh, shined in that. So we'll see. I think we both won Carrie Russell, and I think you you handicapped the field perfectly. Let's jump to lead actor in a, dra- in a drama series. I know you're gonna pick your guy Jason Bateman, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Um, oh, I still gotta watch Ozark. I'm actually getting more intrigued as people talk yeah. about it. Um, similar to our sentiment again, Matthew Reese. I would love him to win. Um, mm-hmm. I actually think he has a, has a better chance than Carrie Russell, to be honest, because uh, I think it's a quote weaker feel. Just because, like, yeah, I mean, this is there's big names in this, but like, I don't see Ed Harris or Jeffrey Wright winning, and no. I don't see Milo Ventimiglia beating out Sterling K. Brown. So it's either Sterling K. Brown repeats or mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Reese wins. I don't think anyone else has a chance. Yeah. I, I would guess Sterling will, will repeat just because, uh, you know, someone that watches this is us. Great, great NBC show. Love the tearjerker. He actually is just phenomenal yeah. and just a great actor in general. Uh, are you going to see are you going to see Predator by chance? Oh, yeah. Predator this weekend. I'm going to see that shit. Don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say the stupidest line in the trailers is when like that woman is nitpicking the name predator and he's like yeah but predator sounds cooler right guys and everybody's like yeah i'm like <laughs> oh god <laughs> i love sterling k brown but that take taking all of that one in my book um all right why don't we jump to lead actress in a comedy you know this is actually going to be a really interesting category this year where it's been a snoozer in the past there's no uh livy louis dreyfus to um kind of uh basically take it home like she does every single year veep is it wasn't on last year can't wait for it to come back i gotta i gotta tell you man um allison janney probably is what the favorite no but... i don't think she's favorite at all actually no she's she's won in the past right but rachel brosnahan won for the globes and i think oh, that's true. demis are just gonna give uh marlo's mrs mazel a lot of awards 
So I, think, I would love that. Yeah, I think Rachel Brosnahan's going to win pretty handily. Um, I love Issa Rae. That'd be for Insecure Season 2. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully she'll be there next year as well. But yeah, I think Rachel Brosnahan's got this in the back. Such a magnetic, uh, screen-stealing performance. She's in almost every scene in that show, you know, so I would love to see that. Yeah, I mean, Rachel Brosnahan's incredible. Um, I would love to see her win. I do think Allison Jenny's an outside shot just because she's very beloved and she's just a great actress. Just won an Oscar, too. She's in in people's minds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lead actor, though. A little bit closer, I think. I agree with you, Brosnahan. I'll probably take it home, but uh, Donald Glover, Bill Hader, got to be top two. Who's your pick? Yeah, it's funny because they're both nominated for four uh, Emmys. I think... A saving grace for Matthew Reese is that Sterling K. Brown is also nominated for a guest actor in a comedy series for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so he could still mm-hmm. win something else, and then Matthew Reese could win. And in the case yeah. of Glover and Hayter, they're probably both going to win something as well, but only one of them could win for lead actor in a comedy series. What's it going to be? Um, Glover uh, won last year. Bill, Bill Hader, though, I feel like is a stronger lead performance. Because He's got that HBO clout behind him. True, too. I think that that's they, like, I mean, well, they're promoting a lot of things, but yeah, I mean, they would love this to win as a soft uh, freshman series. Absolutely, and I would, I actually would pick Hater just because I know DG is going to win a bunch uh, yeah. for writing and directing. Like, I think he would, he, I think he gets credit for Teddy Perkins, um, if which I okay. believe will win, for example. Um, yeah, and also like Brian Tyree Henry is the true lead of of Atlanta, in my right. opinion. So I have more, I have more my voting or my rooting interest behind him personally. So that's why I would go at Hater. I think Glover's great on the show, but yeah, I think I'd go at Hater. Yeah, I think Hater carries Barry, whereas Donald Glover. I mean, it's it's like the Warriors. It's a, if it's not uh, Donald Glover, it's Lakeith Stanfield or it's Brian Tyree Henry. So like, yeah, I think Hater's got to take that one home. Um, what other categories do you want to look at here? I'll let you jump around a little bit. Uh, well, we, let's do the supporting ones as well. Okay, so supporting actress in a, a drama series. Um, just kind of looking real quick. A, do you want your girl Millie Bobby Brown to get this? No, no, not no. for season two. Yeah. Um, you know, did you notice there's seven people nominated for this category? I was just looking at that. <laughs> it's a um, big field. So I haven't seen The Crown. But I have seen Mission Possible Fallout and Vanessa Yo, Kirby's I was fucking throwing heaters in that. <laughs> so I kind of want her to win because yeah. this is her last time for the crown uh, this upcoming season. They've aged up. So Claire Foy and Kirby and Matt Smith are no longer on the show for season three. So send off Vanessa Kirby and have her win. Um, the real, I, I think what who probably wins, uh, probably Ann Dowd for Handmaid's Tale, if I had to guess. Yeah. I, I would love to see Lena Headey for Game of Thrones, Cersei Lannister. I would Incredible too, but yo, your girl Thandy Newton, she had that whole scene where she was speaking uh, Japanese and inceptioning people, yep. controlling them with her mind. I don't know. I, I could see her getting a big push because I, I know they want Westworld yeah. to, con- to continue to get a lot of awards and award I mean, buzz moving forward. Three Handmaids actresses nominated in the same category. Maybe they split, Tough. you know, and someone else wins. Yeah. Possible. We'll see. Um, all right, supporting actor in a drama series. Quick scan here. Uh, I don't think David Harbour. Uh, maybe Peter Dinklage. I don't know. I feel like the Lannister brothers probably going to split it. I, I think I think David Harbour wins, but I'd rather one of the Thrones guys wins. You know, 
I would rather be Nikolai, but yeah. Uh, I yeah, David Harbour might be the one to take it home. Yeah. That's really too bad because I, I he's really good in that series, but I do think, especially in the first season, Millie Bobby Brown just like showed out and then didn't really get much uh serious award uh win and many mm-hmm. award wins to kind of yeah, bring that home or to support that. And so the thing about Throne is like Peter Dinklage hasn't like he had like the Tyrion scenes the good Tyrion's material was seasons ago at this point. He's just kind of mm-hmm. getting legacy nominated at this point. I don't say that right. he's not good. He's still Peter Dinklage, still awesome. But it's like he's not giving his best work. He's much. He's truly a supporting actor right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think Jamie carries more emotion, you know, in the stage of the story. But it's tough for the shorter season. There's a lot going. I don't know. It's like, and because yeah, um, it's. You know, I, I don't think Thrones probably doesn't win any acting stuff because I remember um, uh, Millie Clark and uh, Kit Harrington they even get nominated. They didn't, right? No. Yeah. So it's it's in, it's, it's interesting seeing talking about Thrones that way. But but who wins it? Like, is David Harbour really going to win? You know, he might. Uh, this is a tough one to read. Yeah, definitely a tough one to read. Um, you know, another tough one to read here: supporting actress in a, a comedy series. Uh, Eight I want people. it to be Zazzy Beats. I know eight people <laughs> and four. What four? No, three Saturday Night Live. Um, the rest all from different shows. Uh, you know, none of these people I find particularly funny. I mean, um, Kate McKinnon, Saturday Night Live aside, like Zazzy Beats, she doesn't really bring like bring me a lot of laughs in Atlanta. She's excellent, but I don't right. find myself laughing. There's at a great vulture often. piece from last week about like that we're in our state of post comedy where shows like Glow and Atlanta and Barry yep. shows that are comedy, shows that are funny, but not always funny, not always laugh out loud. And right. I think you kind of see that a bunch of, throughout the nominations, right? That's probably also Absolutely. why Marvel Smith's Maisel can pick up so well, because it is more traditional in that sense in terms of the laughs. But but even Alex Borstein, I don't find, like, she, she there are funny moments, but I think more than anything, her being, like, the person kind of pushing Maisel, you know, to to really reach her potential is her role she's not necessarily comedic relief i mean who would you pick in this category who do you want to see i would probably want to see betty gilpin win for glow honestly mm. hers as he beats but yeah i'd like as he beats to win i think uh kate mckinnon probably wins again or alex borstein but i think kate mckinnon probably wins again all right so supporting actor in a, in a comedy series uh I've heard a lot about Baskets, man. I never watched it, but I think didn't Louis Anderson win in the past? Yeah, for this? I think two years ago. So I mean, potentially, but I just hope Alec Baldwin doesn't win for uh, playing Trump. I don't. I don't. I don't think you will. Honestly, I think as I said before, Brian Tyree Henry would be my choice straight up. He does yep. so much for Atlanta, but I think it's probably going to be Henry Winkler for Barry. Um, I think that's a. It's a it's a very easy to see campaign HBO for mm-hmm. HBO to run right. He's a you know he's a likable person. People like him. People know who he's he the is. Fonz, dude. Exactly. Um, Tony Shalhoub yeah. outside I'll, chance again. He's been the mix. I was gonna say but, Tony Shalhoub would, would be the guy I want to see win. I mean, he right. was really good in Maisel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also shout out Keenan Thompson getting that uh, uh, again. Yeah, getting that nomination. Why don't we jump to the uh, you know just the the shows like the best yeah. actor or best drama, best comedy. Um, and we can do limited series for this one too if, if you yep. have a, a pick. Uh, just looking here, man. I mean, there's 
what seven for the drama series and it looks like eight in the comedy series so it's a fairly big field niche uh i think we we both would like to see the americans you know if we get get noticed with a down down year for thrones wasn't huge i mean down year for stranger things uh handmaid season tale handmaid's tale season two not as strong westworld season two laughably bad Um, (laughs) still got nominated though would could the crown win this could this is us win this i think this is us probably has a better chance of the crown but again like if we're getting what we want americans will hopefully finally get the recognition it deserves i hope so man especially because it seemed to kind of uh stick the landing so to speak so uh i'd love to see it get noticed jump into comedy series i mean it's it's a two-horse race for this atlanta barry uh and no three horse race and Maisel. so um, very tough to pick I, out of those three i can't be mad about any of them winning yeah it's got to be atlanta though yeah um it's just the best just, show of the three yeah it's just a really incredible yeah. show and we talked about a lot check it out soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and we're bringing it home limited series uh wow this category is actually pretty thin yep it's uh, I think it's a two horse uh, race between uh, Gianni Versace, Versace and Godless. Yeah. I think Gianni yeah. Versace wins. After that, so you too. have like Patrick Melrose, which I actually want to watch. I heard Cumberbatch is good in that, but then like mm-hmm. The Alienist and Genius Picasso. Nobody talks about those shows. No one's excited about that. So yeah. it's like this is padding, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> Genius is actually interesting because I heard a lot of buzz around the first season exactly. where they followed Albert Einstein. But then I heard Picasso fell off a lot, so this seems to be more of just like a uh, shout out. The first season was bet it was good, and well, let's give this a nomination as well. And it's weird the way they treat Black Mirror because Black Mirror uses Callister is a, a nominee for television movie, so they like they run Black Mirror as like individual anthology films. So it's just weird because like you Black Mirror ran as a limited series, it's fucking winning this shit. You know, yeah. I just it just feels like it's a it's a stronger war for the win because spoilers, television movie is going to the tail. The Laura Dern mm-hmm. movie that HBO bought and ran for the Emmys and set the Oscars, right? Yeah, we mentioned that in the so, first pod. U.S. Yeah. Callister going to win that, but that's another thing where some of these categories just can be thin because like Fahrenheit four fifty one, we didn't like that. <laughs> that's just not good. Not good. Yeah, it's certainly not, not a good Emmy movie. nominated. Good. No, and then I, I I can't speak to Flint, but it's on Lifetime. And then Paternal from HBO was fine. Okay. Yeah. Right? And it's just annoying yeah. that like some stuff just gets token noms. Whereas there's a comedy series, uh, Insecure, season two, Tough Luck, not nominated. Um, you know, they pick Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Curb Your Enthusiasm over it. But, you know, that's the way it goes. So uh, follow along uh, at Nostalgia Pod. I'm sure we'll be tweeting as some of the winners come up uh and anything notable we'll be talking about shout out to uh john legend by the way first african-american egot so uh pretty awesome he, he won for jesus christ superstar completing his uh his four big award show wins. is his oscar for best original song yeah for um uh salma right uh isn't it kind of cheating to win a best original song and then a grammy isn't that two music wins you know? Was it for Selma? I don't know. I think it might have been. I, I, I Wasn't that like a song that. with him in common? But yeah, if you want to give us some feedback, at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, leave us a rating review on iTunes, uh, communicate with us, and interact with us on 
YouTube. We like to comment and go back and forth a little bit, especially if uh, you have some hot takes there. Mm-hmm. What do we talk about next week, Dave? Yeah, I mean, you said we'll talk more in depth about like what the award wins mean once they actually happen. So, you know, I didn't want to get too deep on hypotheticals now. We just want to let it happen first. So we'll talk more about that in depth next mm-hmm. week. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned The Predator from Shane Black, a uh, very popular filmmaker among, uh, you know, movie heads. Makes good stuff. So I'm excited to see this uh, reboot. This cast is fucking stacked. And despite some negative uh, press recently uh, that Olivia Munn uh, brought, smartly brought up, um, I'm still excited to see the film. And yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> American Vandal Season 2. Is yeah, that coming out Friday. Uh, season one has a Reading nomination up for the Emmys, so maybe it'll take some takes home some gold. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about season two on Netflix. I don't know if we'll get to it next week, but eight episodes, four hours long, not that big of a commitment. So we'll get to that soon. And then music front. I don't know if you have anything on your radar, but the one thing I have on my radar is Harvard Dropout by Little Pump. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Twenty One Pilots should be dropping soon. Maybe nah, they're in October. Week. The oh, they are. Yeah. More time. Yeah. I don't really have too much, so yeah. It'll keep keep the music light for a while. We'll uh we'll talk about some T V, give me some time to catch up. By the way, yeah, John Legend won for Glory, uh, in Selma. So yeah, he won for the Grammy and the, the Oscar for it. But hey, if a song's good, song's good. Mm. <laughs> uh anyways, <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you next week. R. I. P. Mac. Peace. Yeah.